Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 4, fourth chapter of Colossians. If you would like to use the Bibles there in the chairs, it's on page 820. So we are continuing to really look at our theme for this year of investing for eternity. As you're turning, mentioned that uh, we started in the evening service, a, a study of really being battle-ready and preparing for the spiritual battle in which we are all engaged as Christians. And we'll be taking the next several weeks and looking at the, the various aspects of the armor of God. We concluded our study in the morning service of Ephesians, uh, but I did the armor of God really in one sermon, and I want us to take time and look at the various aspects of that because there's tremendous application, and since it is part of our spiritual battle, the war that we are all engaged of as Christians, I think it'll be helpful for us. So I invite you to join us on on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. We have programs for our children and young people at that time as well. Colossians chapter 4 this morning, we're going to be looking and continuing our study of investing for eternity. Imagine that one morning you woke up and uh, in the course of your your morning routine, you checked your bank account and learned that somebody had deposited over $85,000 into a special account for you. Now, after the emotional excitement of the moment to realize, you know, I probably better check on this because it's a mistake and something could happen. And so you contact the bank and they said, well, actually, it is not an accident. It's intentional. There was a deposit of $86,400 put into your account. And they said, but there, there is a catch. None of the money that's been deposited in your account will carry over to the next day. So what is there has to be used today. Would that change your day? Now imagine that that happened and then it happened the next day. And the next day, do you think you would get skilled at spending money? Some of you might say, I'm already skilled at spending money. I just don't have that money in my account. You know, that's my problem. You know, do you think that we'd find ways to make that, while it might not carry over, but we could find ways to make that money work for us, that, that while it may not carry over, there would still be future benefit? Do you realize that every day, the great banker of the universe deposits in your account 86400 not dollars, but seconds? Every day, you are given the opportunity to invest time that God has given us. Yes, we, we try to save time. We, we try to keep it. We try to store it. We, we may try to bank it for later, but we can't do that. But we can do what God calls us to do, and that is to redeem the time. What I want us to consider this morning is redeeming the time and investing time for eternity. We find that here in Colossians chapter 4 and understanding that, that really as Christians, we are to invest our time to advance the work of Christ. That wherever God places us, 
We're to invest our time. Now, now some of that time is to be used for rest. So a fair number of those seconds are, are going to be spent or hopefully spent sleeping. But how do we use the seconds of our waking hours? Are we investing for the work of Christ to see that advanced? If you have your Bibles open, follow with me as I begin reading in in Colossians 4, beginning of verse 2. Colossians 4, verse 2. It says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look into your word this morning, we pray that you would show us ourselves in the mirror of your word. We pray also that you would show us our Savior through the Word. We pray that you would help us to understand how we can redeem the time in this world and these evil days, and that we would be wise in our stewardship of what you have entrusted to us. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. As a Christian, you are to invest your time to advance the work of Christ. You know, time that is not used for the kingdom of God and His righteousness really has no eternal value. And we have a lot of things that go on in our lives that we have to do that we say, well, it's not going to impact eternity, and we have to use that time. In fact, I had a, a, an elementary student ask me to, this past week, he said, okay, I know that we are supposed to think about God and His Word all the time. You know, thou shalt meditate in His law day and night. He says, but we have other things to do, so how does that work? That's a great question. I mean, that's a question we all wrestle with. Okay, we we know what God's Word says about investing for eternity and and meditating day and night, but, you know, I I have other things I have to do. How do I do that? And and I trust that this morning, as we consider these verses, we will answer that question is how to apply it to practical living. And while my my theme this morning is emphasizing the redeeming the time that is mentioned here in verse 5 of of this passage, there's another thread that weaves through these verses. And and that is dealing with our speech. It says in verse 3, praying that God would open the door for the Word to speak as I ought to speak in verse 4. Verse 6, that references our speech that it would be with grace that, that is seasoned with salt. There's a, a tastiness, there's a, an acceptableness of it, and that we would know how to answer. And, and so there's both our time and our tongue are addressed in this passage. And I trust that we'll see the interaction of these because God made time. He controls our time. It says in Psalm 31, verse 15, the psalmist says, My times are in your hands. And while, while God controls the quantity of our time, Lord, teach us to number our days, how long we, we have, it is, it is the length of our life, the quality of our life is significantly dependent on the choices we make. How do we invest our lives? 
do we redeem time? How we, dis- how we spend our discretionary time will really define who we are and also determine what we will become. So what do we do with those 86,400 seconds that God deposits into our, our account every day? Do we, as, as Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Are we striving to live wisely in this world? We are called to invest wisely for the control of life that, that we will see that quality that honors the Lord. And, and that's what I want us to consider this morning. The first thing that we see in this passage is that we are called to pray. Pray intentionally to advance the cause of Christ. It says, continue earnestly in prayer. Now, hopefully, I don't have to convince you that as Christians, we need to pray. And prayer is part of the Christian life. That, that is the, the breath of a Christian. I mean, it's how we become a child of God. It's how we are born into the family of God. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13, that that we are saved through crying out to the Lord, through prayer. And like a newborn baby, the first cry of the spiritual life is that of calling upon the Lord. Somebody has said, no prayer, no life. Because it really is when we are saved, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Romans 8 tells us that, that that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells those who are children of God. And then it's that spirit that's calling out there's an interaction it says in romans 8 verse 15 you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry abba father the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of god it goes on to speak of how the the spirit makes intercession for us and understands when the the groanings that we really can't always put into words that those, those times, I don't quite know what to say, but that burden that's, that's just weighing us down. And as a Christian, the Holy Spirit is working within us. If, if you are a believer, I shouldn't have to convince you of the importance of prayer. But the truth is, we struggle with prayer. We all do. One of the reasons we have an all-church prayer meeting once a month is to help us in this area that we can pray together because I think it, what we see is when we understand the importance of praying intentionally, then we, we recognize the value of corporate prayer. And that's the first thing I want us to see in this, that, that aspect that it's not just written to an individual. I think the, the context, it's a plural in the Greek text that we do this together. There's a corporate aspect. The, the church was born in prayer and built in prayer. We find that in, in Acts chapter 2, that they're, they're coming together, they're praying, and they're, they're, they're involved in fellowship and teaching, but they're in prayer. And it's easy for us, in, in, especially in our American culture, we can focus on programs, we can fro- focus on personalities, but it is prayer and the proclamation of the truth that Christ uses to build his church. And, and so to not pray is to disobey. And not just individually, but corporately. That we have a responsibility, that we come together. And, and it, it's, it's truly a, a blessing to me personally that, to have our church as we gather to pray. And yet it's a challenge. Uh, you know, prayer will not flourish without a commitment. 
It's a spiritual discipline, and it's a discipline in which we, we, we need to grow. It's a discipline in which I need to grow. I mean, it's easy to get everybody under conviction and say, well, how's your prayer life? Yeah, I could always do better. And my desire is to encourage us and challenge us because this is an area that we can invest. You know, do we invest 600 seconds a day in commitment to prayer? That's 10 minutes. You know, we sing sweet hour of prayer, but, you know, really, an hour? That's a challenge. But if we're not much in prayer, we're not going to be growing in our Christian walk. We have to be, and it says in this that we're to be diligent, that we're to be watchful, we're to be vigilant, continue earnestly. There's a diligence. And with vigilance, there's a watchfulness. That it's a call to be devoted, to earnestly committed to praying. It, it, takes, it takes mental concentration. It takes a spiritual comprehension. And especially if somebody else is praying, they lead us in prayer. And we really, we gear our, our prayer time that way. We take a few minutes for a brief devotional to kind of get our minds. We're all coming from different places and busyness and, and the hectic, you know, some coming straight from work. And, and so that we kind of get our thoughts settled on the area of prayer. And then we have a couple of people lead us. And, and how easy it is for our minds to wander. If we're only praying when we're talking, then that's really a problem because part of it is that we're praying with the person leading us that we're repeating or putting into our own thoughts what they are saying. That, that it's a challenge and, and to be led and it's at focus time. And so as we would evaluate our prayer life, how, how are we doing? You know, how are, how are you doing in investing of those seconds in prayer? Do we say as the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray? Not just how to pray, but to pray. That, that we would redeem time in that area. Do we want to grow? This is a great discipline, and I would invite you for next month to join us if you're able. And I know schedules are different, and, and I'm not putting this out for, for a guilt trip, but I'm putting it out that we would make it a priority if we're able. And then the second thing is not just the corporate aspect, but we recognize the necessity of thankful prayer. That we are, we are praying earnestly with vigilance with thanksgiving tells us elsewhere in scripture and everything give thanks for this is the will of god concerning you you know prayer isn't just asking and and if 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 somebody is always coming to you and every time you see them coming you know they're going to ask you for something they want something from you you know at some point it's like oh here we go again is that how we come to god or are there those times that lord thank you Thank you for all you've done. Thank you, the adoration, the, the joy, that thanksgiving ought to be a prominent part of our prayer life. Say, well, I'm not sure how I can spend 10 minutes in prayer. Well, break it up. Thanksgiving, adoration, confession of sin, the asking, the, the various aspects of things that as we consider God's faithfulness, because as we are thankful for what God has done, how He's answered prayer in the past, how He's provided for us, it really develops our trust that we can trust Him in the present. Because how often do we see the barriers, the problems, the situations coming at us and say, I don't know what I'm going to do. 
Yes, but if I know God's faithfulness in the past, it gives me the grace I need to trust Him in the present, knowing that He will be faithful in the future. That, that great is His faithfulness. And that we understand that. I personally, in the last several days, you know, I've had memories popping up in my Facebook account of reminding me that it was eight years ago last Friday that our daughter had a bone marrow transplant. And it was, you know, about seven months after we had moved here. And you as a church family just were such an encouragement and help to us as a family. And, you know, to, to go through that as she was up at Scottsdale Shea Hospital and, and just all of that. And, and, you know, as I thought of it, I thought of posting something on Facebook. But frankly, because of the, the level of emotion that it was and still is for our family, I thought, you know, really, I think anything I would say would come across as almost trivial and superficial. But, you know, we regularly... Judy and I, and even at times as a family, think about what God did. And I try to be thankful. Lord, thank you for how you answered prayer. You know, in seeing and remembering what God did eight years ago, it really encourages me now that God will continue to answer prayer. That, That Thanksgiving is not just a day on the calendar in November. Or a time, a season from the end of, you know, middle to end of November to the new year and we, we want to be thankful because we're getting stuff. No, it, it really ought to be the attitude of us as Christians. First of all, for our salvation. Because we understand where we were and without Christ, we, we would be lost. And, and so we, we are thankful for that. And then it, ent- it encourages us to share that good news with others. And so the third aspect is we recognize the need for ev- evangelistic prayer. And we see that in, in this passage as well, that we are that praying, Paul says, praying for us that God would open to us a door for the Word, to speak the mystery of Christ. And then he mentions, and by the way, that's why I'm in chains. This, this is one of the prison letters that Paul is writing, like Ephesians, and it's, it's a, a, really a parallel book to that, the letter. But, but to understand that, that there's this aspect that prayer is the key to opening the door for the gospel to go forth, that this really ought to be where we start, that we pray, and it says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, I, I quote this verse on various occasions, but it says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. I love the, the mental image of that, of the word running. But it takes prayer. Pray that the word would run. The entire book of Acts, as you read the history of the church, the birthday of the church, and then the the expansion of the church, and how all of that goes. And and when you come to the end of Acts, you find out that, that Paul is in prison. But it says, but the word was not bound. Paul was, but not God's word. We need to pray that the word would go forth. We need to pray because we are in a spiritual battle. That prayer is, is a communication system. We pray for reinforcements. You know, we, we, we have a note in the bulletin today. There are areas where we need staff. I have a list that I have at my desk of, of areas we need staffing, and I've kept that. And, and there are some of them I've crossed off because I've seen how God has provided. There are some that I've added. And I, and I remind our staff, you know, this isn't just, you know, we, we see this all over the place. You go into restaurants and they say, you know, please be patient with us. We don't have enough work, workers. 
You go into, you know, you know, you go in and they're doing self-checkout because they don't have staff. Say, well, it's not just a, a problem of our society because it's compounded because we're in a spiritual battle. We need, we need servants and soldiers who will stand in an evil day and we're not just engaged in trying to, to do goods and services. We're trying to touch souls. And that's a battle. So we need people who are coming alongside in the Lord's army. And so we pray for workers. Pray the Lord of the harvest that He would send forth laborers into the harvest. And so we consistently put on our prayer sheet on, for our, our monthly prayer time, pray that God would stir the hearts of the unsaved and lead them to us and us to them. Pray that God would stir the hearts of the unchurched or those away from the Lord and lead them to us and us to them. We say pray that God would stir the hearts of those in the wrong churches. Help them to seek to change those churches, but if they won't change, lead them to us and us to them. There are churches that have departed from preaching the truth. And sometimes people don't realize that. It's like, well, something's not quite the same, but I don't know what it is. And, and, and we've had people come. Some of you are here as an answer to that prayer. Said, I've been looking for this. Well, what are we trying to do? Preach God's word. Faithfully, in season, out of season. And so we pray to that end. But, you know, could it be that the reason that we don't have evangelistic opportunities is we don't pray for them? That's what this passage is calling us to. That we would pray that God would open the door for utterance. Evangelism begins with prayer. We pray for the lost. That was Paul's burden. He, he, he said in Romans 10, he said, My burden and prayer for Israel is that they would be saved. Do we do that? For our family, unsaved relatives, co-workers, friends, it, it, it's a prayer for the lost. It's prayer for opportunity. That God would open the doors, it says here in verse 3, that the word would go forth, that I could speak the mystery, and then pray for boldness. I found it fascinating in Ephesians 6 that that was one of Paul's prayers. Pray that I would have boldness to share the gospel. I don't think of Paul as cowardly. But you know, when you've been beaten, when you've been stoned, when you've been imprisoned, there comes a point where, I don't know that I want to go through this again. I'm not up for that. He said, but pray that I have boldness. Pray that I'd be able to share the gospel. Would you commit to pray for an opportunity to share the gospel? So, well, I might not know what to say. Well, that's what this passage tells us as all, to speak the mystery of Christ. Tell people about Jesus. My, my, my friend, he was, I knew him in college. I, he was actually in my dorm when I was a dorm supervisor. David Hasselflick said that you pray, you meet people, and you tell them about Jesus. But it starts with pray. And then God brings those divine appointments across our path. Could it be that we don't have, you know, I don't seem to have those. Are we asking? I might not know what to say. Well, if you're truly saved, you know that everybody was created to glorify God and, and all of us by sin have fallen short of the glory of God. That that's our problem. And because of sin, we are eternally separated from God. The wages of sin is death. And we deserve it. But Jesus Christ came. God the Son came into this world to pay the penalty for our sins. To die in our place. While we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. 
and that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know that. That's the gospel. That's the mystery of Christ. Say, well, they might have other questions I don't know. It's okay to say, you know, I don't know. (laughs) But let me tell you what I do know. And plant those seeds. And folks, we all face that timidity at times. Here's Paul saying, pray that I would have boldness. Say, well, you're a preacher. You know, Yeah, so I better know the answers, right? And if I get asked a question and I don't know the answer, it's like, and you're a preacher? You're a Bible student? You're in Bible college? Folks, pray, meet people, tell them about Jesus. Can you imagine the impact that Tri-City Baptist Church could have on this area if every one of us made that a consistent prayer and then anticipated those opportunities? Would we do that this year? That's an eternal investment in time because we're praying to intentionally advance the cause of Christ. The second thing I want us to see, though, in this passage is we need to plan purposefully to advance the cause of Christ. That we walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. That as Christians, we need to live wisely. We need to walk in wisdom. And the reason for that is we don't want our life to contradict our words. That to those who are outside, who's that? The unsaved. Those who aren't part of the family of God. Those who have not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That, that wisdom is seeing life from God's viewpoint. And we see people all over our culture trying to make life work without Christ. And it won't work without Christ. And so they try drugs. They try alcohol. They try entertainment. They try they, they, all of these things. Why? Because they're trying to make life work. But Jesus said, I am come to give you life. And that you might have life more abundantly. See, wisdom sees life from God's viewpoint. And, that, and so as, as Christians, we have a responsibility and an opportunity. If we pray for gospel opportunities, then we need, need to remember that our life also speaks. You know, will it contradict our words? You know, I, I used to say, I don't really like having the church name on the side of vehicles. Because what if my driving contradicts <laughs> what the message should be? It's like when somebody cuts me off in traffic, it's like, okay... You're a Christian first. <laughs> yes, but they need to hear my judgment sound. <laughs> That's what that button is for. You know, hit the horn, judgment. <laughs> you were wrong. <laughs> but how is our life in the daily aspect? In the workplace, in where we go, how we interact with, with teachers, how we interact with coworkers, how you interact in your home, how you talk to your spouse, your children, your parents. You know, if, we, if we're praying for gospel opportunities, then we need to walk in a way that our, our life does not contradict our words. A wise walk will recognize and take advantages of the opportunities to serve the Lord and, and to share His Word, that we are redeeming the time. When we, when we looked at the passage in Ephesians on this, and both Ephesians and, and Colossians are bringing out the same idea of being alert to opportunities, that there are windows where those, those seconds are available for that time only, but once they're past, they're gone. It's make the most of those windows of opportunity to seize those moments. I've shared with, with you before that before we were married, I, I spent a couple of summers uh, working in the commercial fishing industry in Alaska. 
And we were fishing in the Cook Inlet, and it has the second largest tides in the world. And so there was a lot of water that would move in and out of that area. And a lot would change in the turning of the tides. In the first summer I was up there, I was working on a 34-foot fishing boat, and it was docked in our, the harbor in a little town there in, on the Kenai Peninsula named Nanilchik. Well, if the tide was out, you could not get boats out of that harbor. Once the water had gone out, the water the, going out of the harbor wasn't deep enough. And so when we were fishing, we didn't always know when we would be able to fish. It was all geared by, it was determined by the Department of Fishing and Game. And they, they actually had ways that they would count how many salmon were going up the, the streams, and they had to make sure enough were going up the streams before they would open it up for fishing. So we never were quite sure when they were going to allow us to fish. And, and sometimes we might only get a couple hours' notice that you would be able to fish. Well, if the tide was out, you couldn't get your boat out, and now you're missing that opportunity. And so there would be times that we, would, we weren't even sure they were going to let us fish, but we would make sure we got our boat out and anchored it someplace else. Because that window was going to be there, and if we weren't available, we would miss it. Folks, how many windows of opportunity do we miss because we're not even alert to it? That we're striving to, to plan purposefully. This means that whatever we're doing, where God has placed you, we have to keep eternity in mind. It, it's not simply for those who are in full-time vocational Christian service. And I, I use vocational because we're all, if you're a Christian, you'd be a full-time Christian. To serve the Lord full-time wherever He places us. In the, in the workplace, in the neighborhood, with our extended family, with our hobbies, with our sports and the fitness centers and where we shop. That we're praying for opportunities to share the gospel. That we're alert to that. And, and in the workplace especially, because that's where we spend a lot of those seconds every day, that your work matters to God. That legitimate work has a dignity that comes from God. The key is to be faithful and, and to be a good representation. That, that it, we understand that we don't simply mark time, we invest time. And understanding this is a great opportunity. If you're a student, you have responsibility. And that means we have to avoid the enemies of productivity. That, that there are enemies to our being productive. What are those? Well, one of them is idleness. That, that not working. You know, work is not the result of the fall. Now, it's harder because of the fall. But God gave Adam responsibility to cultivate and maintain the garden before sin came. Now, sin makes it more strenuous, and that was part of the curse. But God gave the opportunities and responsibilities to glorify Him through work in this world. And if we're not, if we're not diligent in this, that's a problem. Charles Spurgeon wrote a little book of really wit and wisdom, and he wrote it under the name of, of John Plowman. And one of the chapters in that book is on seizing opportunities. And here's what he says about those who are idle. He says, When I see a man who declares that the times are bad and that he is always unlucky, I generally say to myself, that old goose did not sit on the eggs and now providence is blamed because they won't hatch. I never had any faith in luck at all except that to believe that good luck will carry a man over a ditch if he jumps well. 
what is the effort we put in? You know, Proverbs has numerous verses concerning sloth and how those who don't work, they always have excuses. You know, and sometimes this is, it, it's, it's a challenge for all of us. But students, you have projects that are going to be due at the end of the semester. You've got, you've got an assignment sheet that tells you when they're due. You know, that time is going to get here a whole lot sooner than you realize. So don't wait until the last minute and then make it a dorm prayer request. You know, I have a special project due tomorrow and really pray that I do well. I have a test coming and I, I need to start studying for it. <laughs> yeah, no, redeem the time. You'll do well on the test if you jump over that ditch by studying. And let's not be idle. Second one is amusement. That we get distracted. You know, we are in a culture that is consumed with the, the pursuit of recreation and play. We, I've given you the quote before, we worship our work, we, play it, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. You know, there is a place for recreation when it's a recreation. When it's giving us strength, when we're, we're getting, the, you know, the, the rest that we need and the strength. But we have to be careful that it does not become a distraction and a diversion from what God would have us do. You know, we, we've talked at times, and both in the academy and on the college level, I wonder how many times some of our students struggle to stay awake in class because they've been spending their nights gaming and doing video games instead of homework. You know, how many of those 86,400 seconds that God gave us are we investing in reading the Word versus doing things that just to, we have a good time? You know, with Minecraft and Fortnite and... Call of Duty 2 and Modern Warfare and Roblox and kids spending their, own, their parents' money on things like this. And there's actually the development in the workplace of the gamifying of work to try to get people invested. Because the games will draw you in. And, and again, there's a place for it. Now the content needs to be appropriate too. But gamification in the workplace and the effort to gamify work so that people will invest in work. For us as Christians, we ought to be investing because we're seeking to glorify God. That we want to hear well done. That we have an eternal focus rather than an immediate gratification. So are we investing for eternity? Are we preparing for life and ministry? Are we getting distracted? And again, it's not wrong to have time, but we, need to, uh, we have to control the time, not allow it to control us. You know, Jesus chose industrious men to be his disciples. Fishermen, hard workers, and the gospel went forth. A third one is procrastination. When we fail to seize those windows that are put before us, and we've kind of talked about this, but understand that one of Satan's most dangerous lies is not denying eternity. Satan's dangerous lie is not that there's no heaven or no hell, but that there's no hurry. You've got time. Like the rich man in, in Luke who said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build bigger ones. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, then I'm going to store up and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to have a great life. And God said, you fool, today your soul is required of you. This night. No one, none of us are guaranteed of tomorrow. So let's 
invest those seconds that God has given us now. That, that we be diligent, that we be redeeming the time. The fourth one is known sin. I, I, I would say that idleness, procrastination are sin, but things that we, we can get distracted from by good things. But there are times that sin itself, it's not just distracting, it's defiling. The sins of the flesh, the actions that hinder our productivity for Christ, you know, it, that, that cause us to not want to witness because, well, my life isn't what it should be. Or sins of the Spirit that influence our attitudes. Anger and bitterness, envy. Do you realize that if you're bitter for a day that you've wasted those 86,400 seconds? You failed to redeem that time. If you're bitter for a month, you've wasted that month. I know people who have spent years harboring bitterness. They're not redeeming the time. And understand, bitter people do not make truth attractive. Why would I want what they've got? No, we understand that when we, what God has done, Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who trust in Him. When trouble comes to say, Lord, I trust You that your way is best. So how do we improve in this area? We improve efficiency by, number one, working with a godly purpose. That we do all to the glory of God. That, that you know, when people are trying to watch their weight, they, they track their calories. You know, I, I've been out to eat with people at times and we'll be looking at a menu and they'll pull out their phone and they'll start checking calories on items on the menu. Because it's a health issue. They're looking at they want to protect their health. You know, if somebody's trying to watch their, their, their spending, they, they have a budget. And those are good things. But our, our finances and our health are temporary. Do we ever track our time? You know, there's lots of tools for that. But do we watch how we, how we spend our time so that we would imp- apply our hearts to gain wisdom? You know, that, that's what God has called us to redeem our time. So how are we doing in reading the Bible? You know, God has given you all the time you need to do everything He wants you to do. So if we say, well, I just don't have a time for prayer, for Bible reading, are those things God wants us to do? So maybe we need to evaluate where is our time going? Are we doing things that God doesn't intend for us to do? Are we not doing things that God does intend for us to do? Are we doing the right thing in the wrong way or with the wrong priority? Do we prioritize the spiritual over the physical? You know, this week is off to a great start. We're here together on the first day of the week, worshiping God. Do you think God wants us to do that? I do. And to be in God's Word that we would say, Lord, help us to be molded in a way that will honor You. You know, it's God's will that we worship Him. It's God's will that we think about Him. How do I do that day and night? So what I told that TCA student who asked me that question about meditating on God's Word, I said, you know, you have to focus on other things, but you keep the Bible app always running in the background so that everything interacts with that. That that it's the grid through which we put things. It's the template for our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, that we measure our responses Based on the Word of God, it doesn't mean I just walk around and say, well, I'm sorry I flunked the the math test because I was thinking about the Bible. 
Well, you get an A in Bible and an F in math. (laughs) No, we have to focus on other things as well. But we ought to be doing math to the glory of God. We ought to keep the Bible app there, that we value time, that is, that is and, and really valuing time is a mark of spiritual maturity. Because it means I'm going to, include, I'm going to pursue God's word and his will. I want to know that. I, I want to reject the wisdom of this world. It means I, it, it, that I'm not going to just leave God out of my planning. As it says in James, you should say, as the, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that. And since my times are in his hands, I can trust him. My life belongs to him. He knows the number of days I need to make the right choices for the quality. And the place that God has you serving is the place you can give him glory. And so secondly, working with a godly perspective on life. We want to be industrious. Uh, You know, that's, that's necessary, but it's not enough to work hard. Proverbs 6 6 tells us that the ant works hard. And and while insects are created to glorify God and they accomplish their created purpose, there ought to be a difference between your work and an insect's. What's the difference? We can be morally conscious of endeavoring to glorify God. We can look for opportunities in the workplace to share the gospel, to be an encouragement, to strive to enhance Christ's glory where we work. It says in Titus 2, verse 9, it's actually being addressed to slaves and their response to their masters, but it says, Be obedient to your own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not talking back, not pilfering, don't steal, but showing all good fidelity, good faith, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. That how we work ought to adorn the doctrine of God. So does your response in the workplace make God's truth attractive to those who are outside? Co-workers, employers. Years ago, I was talking with a Christian man named Warren. He was a mechanic for Northwest Airlines before they were absorbed by Delta Airlines. And he, was in De- he worked in Detroit. Detroit Metro was one of the hubs for Northwest Airlines, and he was a mechanic. And he told me that when planes would come in, sometimes they had a very small window to work on that plane before it was going back out, the maintenance issues and and minor issues. And he said, every time a plane would come in, I would pray that God would help me find the problems. And he said it actually got to a point where pilots would wait until they got to Detroit before they would mention some of the smaller problems. I hope they were smaller problems. I did fly Northwest back then. Because they knew that Warren was somebody who would find it. Well, how did he find it? It was because he prayed. His attitude was, how do I serve God in fixing planes? And he ended up with a testimony among pilots because of that. Do you think that Warren adorned the doctrine of God, our Savior, as a mechanic? I do. That's what we're all called to do. And when we have that kind of a testimony in the workplace, then the third thing we do is we we speak properly to advance the cause of Christ. Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. That we pray for opportunities to share the truth of the gospel. We pray that the word would run, that it would have that swiftness. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel, that, that speak in such a way that our words would display the grace of God. 
So would we commit to pray, Lord, stir the hearts of the unsaved. Lead them to me and me to them. Not just us as a church, but individually. And, and, and then pray for the words to, to speak. So we're praying for those opportunities to share the gospel. We're praying for the words that, that I may have the word to speak, that I may speak the mystery that is there. Because how will they believe in whom they have not heard? It's not just enough to live a life that's a good testimony. That's part of it. But we do have to speak. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans 10, verses 14 and 17. And, and then Romans 15 says that it, the feet of those who share the gospel are beautiful. I don't, I don't tend to think of feet as a beautiful part of the body, especially mine. But if you share the gospel, that's how God sees it. Our missionaries that go forth, those who are sharing the gospel in their workplace, where they do business, God says, that, that, how beautiful are the feet of those who share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because faith comes by hearing. And how will they hear unless somebody tells them? They say, yeah, but I'm still not sure how to answer. Then, then begin to walk, be in God's word. You know, learn the scripture. Ask questions. And prepare. Because what, know what God has done in your life. Now, let me, let me say, you cannot truly redeem the time until you've been redeemed. You can't redeem the time for God's glory until you belong to Him. But that is God's will. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And He did it by becoming the curse for us, because cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree, who dies on the cross. It says in Romans, we are justified freely by His grace through, through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. The redemption is through His blood bringing forgiveness of sin. So when we are redeemed, then we can redeem the time. To redeem the time for eternity means that I must impose God-honoring priorities on my time. Eliminating those things that, that keep me from honoring God, that eat up too much of our time. That we would prepare to answer questions regarding our faith that we would speak with grace and it says it here as well that uh, the salt I think that's more than just stopping seasoned with salt that's not just stopping corruption that I think it covers that elsewhere but I think there's a a tastiness salt adds flavor that we would live in such a way that it would invite questions that we can answer for the Lord that we're seeking to do that so so far today 38,000 seconds are gone. And we've, we've spent about 2,400 today together here. Have we thoughtfully redeemed this time? What will we do with the remaining 48,000 today? God, God's will is that we rest, that we sleep physically. But let's not be found asleep at the wheel spiritually. Because as a Christian, you are to invest your time to advance the work of Christ. And the purpose is that we live with eternity in view that we might hear, well done, good, faithful servant. Let's pray together.